And now, friends, it's time for us to pay a few bills. SongTrust is the world's largest technology solution for global music royalty collection and publishing administration, enabling 205,000-plus songwriters and more than 26,000 publishers to collect their publishing royalties worldwide for over 2 million copyrights. Be sure and visit songtrust.com forward slash pubcast to take advantage of a 20% off discount for a one-time registration just for listening to the AIMP Nashville Pubcast. And now, friends, let's get on with the show. Hey, listeners, it's Tim Hunter, your host of the AIMP Nashville Pubcast. And in this episode, we're going to take a few of our favorite clips and mash them up. And today we're talking about that moment that inspired our friends to get into the craziness known as the music business. In our first clip, we talked to my good friend, Wayne Milligan. And from our original episode, we discussed royalties and how to make sure you get paid. But I, I like to ask people, what is it that made you get into this business? Was there kind of an in the beginning, uh, like, was there a moment where... I mean, I'll share with you, like, mine was Kiss. I've mentioned it before, Kiss Records. I heard a Kiss record, and for whatever reason, I'm like, whatever that is, I got to do that. And I ended up being a drummer. Did you have one of those moments in your upcoming that made you get into music, particularly where you're at in music? I always say I wanted to be a long-haired rock and roll drummer. Yes, a drummer. and And because this is a podcast and you can't visually see me, I'm about as bald as a cue ball. <laughs> so unfortunately, the genetics did not uh, did, did not uh, uh, work out for me. Uh, no, of course, I got into you know the music industry for the love of music. Um, I I moved to Nashville because uh, a road manager for an artist that I came in contact with suggested that I move here because I wanted to get in the music industry. I wanted to uh, you know be able to work in an, in, you know, in an area of business that, um, in, in you know, and it just, in, for music that I love music, you know, I, I grew up listening to a lot of rock and roll. And when I moved to Nashville, I, Keith Whitley was one of my favorite artists that I ever heard. And I, and I didn't listen to a whole lot of country music before I moved here, but I didn't want to move to Los Angeles. I didn't want to move to New York. So Nashville was, you know, the, the place I felt like I could, could get a job and, you know, provide for a family. So there, there's that. I was yeah. supposed to be a rock star too. I yeah. ended up finding I was much better at the business end than I was at uh, being in bands. Well, Belmont has so many talented musicians and artists. And it, it just, when I saw some of the the people that, you know, were, that I was going to school with, I'm just like, there's no way I can play drums and, and, you know, I'm not near as talented as that. So I got into copyright, you know, administration and royalties. So, you know. Well, God bless you. Yes. We need good <laughs> good men like you on that side, Wayne. Yeah, I feel like I can hold my own in this area. Amen. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> In this clip, we speak with Richard Casper and Kevin McCarty, who have founded the app We Should Write Sometime. One of the ones I like to ask is in the beginning, meaning what was that moment of clarity that sent you on this path that made this like, oh, I have to do this? And Richard, that's probably really open for you because there, I know you have a couple different journeys that led you just to this this particular app and stuff, but I would love to hear your answer to that question. Yeah. Earlier, I talked a little bit about why it was kind of important to me in my uh, social life, but the real big push for this was knowing that when I bring veterans into Nashville to write with these number one songwriters, a lot of times this is the veteran's 
first time ever doing a co-write, ever writing his story or her story for the first time. And my ultimate dream is that when they fly back to their states or their cities, that they have other songwriters to connect with. So when I figured that we can not only help the songwriting community connect, but I could help the veterans that are trying to heal through music connect with songwriters who may want to help them heal, I just I knew it was a no-brainer, and that's what really made me push for this. And that's a that's exactly how you and I originally met with with your creative vets opportunities that you brought, and I just think it's an amazing thing what you're doing. And obviously, I believe hugely in the power of music to heal, and and I love that that was the impetus or the starting place for you really trying to get this together and to continue that process of helping people heal because that's see i'm almost gonna get choked up about it every time i talk to richard he does that to me Sorry. so Same. inspiring dude. I, I, i'm with him all the time and it still happens yeah. so i get it do you have one of those stories you, you yeah, also have a little diversity I, in yeah, your background i think to get it's here. one of those where it goes back to you know surround yourself with the people that are going to help lift you up and make you better and the things that you want in life. And, and Richard has always been that, that inspiration and the guy that's like, I just want to spend my time around him with his dad jokes also, because he's really good about that. But uh, just what he was doing, I said, I just want to be around him. Right. And I think, you know, you could, whether, whatever your belief is or not, it's, it's one of those, like, I think everything kind of lined up for me perfectly with the timing of this, you know, for, for whatever reason, whatever you want to believe. But for me, it was, I was working on a music tech startup that didn't work out. And then immediately was hearing, you know, all the problems that I was mentioning earlier about songwriters connecting in a podcast. And then I met Richard or, and then Richard came to me with this idea. And it was one of those where it all just kind of aligned together, but it was one of those where I was, engrossing myself in in reading everything about music tech and what was going on in the industry and 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 then hearing this piece of it from him going hey i have this idea it was just kind of that whole like let's do it and so like ran home and got some the whiteboard and just was like let's do it like like this is what i've been waiting for right is is there was a failure here but as long as i'm positive about who i'm around and what i'm doing i think what is supposed to happen will happen as long as you put in the work and you guys are doing it for the greater good, which I think is mm -hmm. amazing to just help people connect and to help also on the deeper end, help people heal. That's a beautiful thing. Yeah, I, I think his story about having a good friend was one of his favorite singer-songwriters leave because he couldn't connect with the right people. It's like that's, we never want that to happen, right? You, you want talent to be cultivated and given the tools to be successful and we're just one of those tools. In this next clip, we talk with my very good friend and music business icon, Lionel Conley. When you started then, what was it that attracted you to music, or did you have one of those moments where you went, I have to do this for a living? We call it in the beginning. In the beginning, what was that thing? Was yeah, it a yeah, 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 there was. I, I was doing deliveries, and we used to, uh, when we used to send a song to a singer, uh, we used to do like acetates, which was getting the vinyl and scratching your song onto it. There was no, there was no tape at that time. It was that we actually had acetates, like what what would be a vinyl. And I used to do them, and and we had a machine that did it. And I used to do them from from the song. I copy an, an acetate of the song, and I would then have to deliver it to whoever they were sending it to. And one day there was, uh, my boss said, could you deliver this to Dickie Valentine? No one's heard of Dickie Valentine. But at that time, in the 50s, I had to deliver 
an acetate, a song, to this guy called Dickie Ballantyne, who was huge. Radio, though. Remember, records weren't selling in those days. It was radio. And I went to his uh, house. I knocked on the door, thinking that some maid would answer, and Dickie Ballantyne opened the door. And I said, oh, 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 I was lost for words. And I said, oh, this is from Dick James. And I said, oh, he said, dead. <laughs> How is it? And we started a conversation. <laughs> and on the bus going back to the office, I thought, this is it. I actually met Dickie Valentine. <laughs> You'd made it. And you're, you, that was your moment where you're like, this is awesome. That was, the, that was the moment I said, yeah, this is for me. I can meet all these stars now. In this clip, we're going to throw it back to our very first guest of this season, David Israelite, head of the NMPA. Well, one of the things I always like to ask somebody is, is uh, what is one of your proudest moments currently as, uh, as the president and CEO of, of the NMPA? That's a great question. I, I'm very fortunate that I have a lot to choose among. Um, I mean, I think passing the MMA clearly is going to be one of the signature accomplishments that a lot of people worked on. But to, to think that we could pass a music copyright bill with unanimous support in Congress and that fundamentally changes the industry, we're very proud about that. Uh, I think also the NMPA has become a trade association that is unique. Uh, I interact with a lot of other trade associations. There are hundreds of them. I don't know of another one that is a profit center for its members. Most trade associations, almost all, require their members to pay dues, and the members pay those dues because it's a necessary and important expense to protect their interests. NMPA, because we have been so successful in our litigations and in our business settlements, that if you are a member of NMPA, you have made a significant amount of money over the amount of dues that you've paid to NMBA um, by a factor of, of many hundreds of percent, depending on your particular situation. And so to be able to transform what was a trade association that still does all the things a trade association does, we lobby, we represent in rate setting proceedings, we do promotional things like our gold and platinum program. On top of all that, we are so successful in our litigations and business programs that by being a member of NMPA, you are profiting and making money well above the dues that you're asked to pay. And that's something that uh, I think probably would be at the top of the list as well in terms of things we're proud about. And in our final clip, we have Wendy Duffy wrapping it up for us. So I would have to say my proudest moment was probably um, a chance meeting with Sam Tenez, actually. Uh, Sam was doing really well in sync licensing already, writing with um, artists like Ruel and Whistle, and he was also working a band project of his own called Wave and Rome, a project he was working on with Matt Brian-Louis. And so when we met for coffee, I think I was just kind of like, oh yeah, I just want to know this guy, it'll be great. And we were starting to have some success at the time, Solo, and he was. And so we met for coffee and we got to talking. And his Wave and Rome project was actually signed to another company at the, at the time. His stuff as a writer was all tied up with all the other writers that he was working with. And so I, we had this great meeting. It was like two hours and we talked about all kinds of stuff. And um, I remember specifically it was in April. And um, I went back to... 
when we finish up the coffee and he goes, you know what? There is one song. I have one song. Do you want to come to my car and hear the song? I said, yeah. I mean, so Nashville, right? right. So, <laughs> so we go to the parking lot at 8th and Rose and um, we sit in his car and he's like, okay, yeah. Like I wrote this like a year and a half ago with this guy, Tommy Prophet. We wrote it at some camp, you know, but like you could totally rep this and you could rep his master. You could rep my whole thing. Um, he's in a publishing deal with Capital. So he plays me this song and the minute the track starts and you can listen to it on Spotify, it's called Glass Heart. I knew from the minute the track started that this track was money. Um, it was epic. His vocal was special. It was sparse. It was very emotional. And I was like, oh my gosh, I can rep this song? He's like, yeah. I'm like, you need to send it to me. I'm going to go back to the studio. I'm going to start pitching it to everybody. I'm so excited. So that night I serviced it out to a bunch of people and I got a music search in for um, Quantico. They're actually launching the show Quantico at ABC. It was the first season and it was a big deal. They're putting a ton of money into it and really pushing it. So I got a brief and I would say if there were adjectives, there were like six adjectives in there and literally this song checked all the boxes. I didn't even pitch anything else. I literally sent the one song and I looked over at my husband. It was like 9 p.m., you know, on a Friday night. And I was like, watch this. And within two minutes. <laughs> uh, the, the confidence. The creative, I love it. I mean, but I knew it. Like, yeah. you know, you just sometimes, sometimes you just know, you know like with every bone in your body. And within two minutes, I got an email back like, holy crap, like this is perfect. And within seven days, it was running during um, the final four, NBA final four. And it ran for months. And Sam called me and he's like, you are a rainmaker. And I said, well, that doesn't always happen, Sam. Like, I want to just make sure that we manage expectations here. <laughs> like, You don't always get a song and place it a week later that runs for multiple months, which ended up being a very lucrative campaign for oh, Sam buddy. and really began my relationship with Sam Tenez and my relationship with Tommy Prophet. And I'm really proud because they are still tentpole artists I'm working with all these years later. Um, so I really believe that was a, a very monumental turning point. Um, and the relationship that I've developed with both of them is a lot deeper than music. Um, they're personal friends and people that I really trust and admire. And I mean, by far huge moment for I me. love those stories and how it's just those accidental meetings and if he hadn't just said hey I got this song there's so many variables that could have not worked <laughs> out in that but then it does and again I've met Sam he's the what a beautiful human to talk to and I think I've met, I met I haven't met Tommy yet but we've You'll conversed via <laughs> via emails when uh, we had this the song together he worked had a part of that master I believe on hold on for yes, your life yes, and yeah. then I come on to NF Reels music and he produced all of it. And then I got turned on to all his symphonic stuff. Does He does the most epic music, man. I love it. But yeah. anyway, so it's an interesting business. That's a great moment. I love that. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of the AIMP Nashville Pubcast. Subscribe now on your favorite podcast platform and follow us at AIMP Nashville to keep up with news, events, panels, and even new episodes. The AIMP Nashville Podcast is created by executive producers Dale Bobo and Tim Hunsey, producer Brandon Harrington, mixing and editing by Casey Porter. Thanks for listening and supporting the AIMP Nashville Podcast.